Hey, what's going on, everybody? It is Kyle back with another episode of the Hospitality MD podcast. Before we get started, be sure to connect with us wherever you are tuning in and check the link in the description to find all of our social channels. You do not want to miss what we have in store for Hospitality MD. So guys, this week's episode is with Rachel Vandenberg. She is a certified leadership coach and the owner and operator of the independent Sun and Ski Inn and Suites in Stowe, Vermont. So we talked to a uh, a franchise owner of branded hotels and learned about the challenges of being a hotel owner for a franchise property. What about the challenges and opportunities of being an independent hotel owner and operator? That is what we are diving into on today's episode. Be sure to connect with Rachel as well. She is an amazing hospitalitarian. We hope you guys enjoy the episode. Can't wait to hear your feedback. Hey guys, welcome back to Hospitality MD. I'm Kyle, and today it is my pleasure to be joined by Rachel Vandenberg. She is the owner of the crap. I'm gonna have to start that over. I literally That's all right. what what's the name of the property again? The Sun and Ski and in Sweet. Sun and Ski. Okay. I was about to say ski and sun, and I knew that wasn't right. That's all right. Okay. Hey guys, welcome back to Hospitality MD. I'm your host, Kyle Allison. Today, it is my pleasure to be joined by Rachel Vandenberg. She is the owner and operator of the Sun and Ski Inn and Suites in Stowe, Vermont. Rachel, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Kyle. Yeah, it's my absolute pleasure. So guys, we've explored the world of franchise branded hotel ownership and the challenges that can, you know, arise and the benefits. And we've, we've explored that here, but what we haven't so much talked about is what it's like to own and operate an independent hotel. You know, a lot of times people will say you need a brand or you can't be successful or lenders will not give you loans. If you're trying to develop an asset and you don't tell them what brand you're going with. So there's a lot of conversation about this in the modern hotel industry. And uh, Rachel is somebody who is crushing all the stereotypes. She's running a very successful um, uh, hotel uh, in her town without a brand. So Rachel, just to give us some context, why don't you tell us a little bit about your hotel, uh, just to give us a feel for the um, kind of scope of what you're owning and operating here. Sure. So we have a 39 room hotel with a 18 hole miniature golf course and an uh, eight lane boutique bowling lounge and an indoor pool. And we are situated about uh, 10 minutes from a ski resort uh, mountain here in Stowe, Vermont. And yeah, it's a beautiful location. We're alongside a river um, with a big, big backyard, very central in town, um, lots of recreational activities in our area. Um, so yeah, that's, that's pretty much the scope. Yeah. I mean, and by the way, guys, we're going to leave a link in the description to check out the property because like, just wait until you see this bowling alley, wait until you see the pool, the, the rooms are beautiful. Like it's honestly like a really, really, really nice product from amenities to rooms. And that kind of, you know, starts the conversation a little bit in the sense that like, you know, you didn't have a brand FF and E manual that said, okay, you have to get these, um, these linens, these uh, fixtures, these, this furniture, this carpet, this wallpaper, like you didn't have a prototype to go off of. So um, what was that process like for you to kind of develop the product and um, just kind of get the hotel to where it is and up and running? Yeah, that um, that's such a great question. Um, And you're making me blush. (laughs) (laughs) But um, it's such a great question. Because, um, 
you know, when we took over, my husband and I took over the hotel from my parents, um, you know, one thing that was really important is that we wanted to put ourselves into the property and we wanted to really think very consciously about what we wanted the property to be. And at the time, um, the, the, the topic of putting a brand on our hotel did come up. Um, and especially since we don't have, um, any brands in our town, um, there, you know, there, there was this thought that, you know, that could be an opportunity to bring in more business. Um, but my husband and I, we were very adamant that, um, you know, we wanted to be able to put our fingerprints on it. Um, so, you know, in terms of that process, we've really been spending the last 10 years, um, thinking very consciously about, you know, who is our audience? Who, who are we trying to bring to our hotel? And what are they looking for in their experience? Um, so it's just been, I mean, I can't speak because I, I haven't run a branded hotel, but, you know, for me, um, that process has just been so enriching because we could really follow the, the ideas and we could really, really say, okay, like looking at the location where we're based, looking at who we want our clientele to be, we could really craft this experience very uniquely and independently. Um, and one example is that of that is that we are, I'm, we're from European descent. My husband is from Holland and my dad is from Holland and we've that comes out in our experience in our design of our hotel and we've even had people say wow it feels kind of european here even though we don't really like express it very specifically but they can feel that in the experience so you considered putting a brand on the hotel was there some sort of like was was this an idea that you had or was it like was they're an outside force who was saying, Hey, you might want to put a brand on the hotel or like, were you so, cause it sounds to me like just how I mentioned at the beginning of the, the program, um, you know, that there is a, sometimes an expectation from just people from lenders, from whoever that's like, Oh, you have a hotel. So automatically what brand is it? What brand is it going to be? So tell me a little bit about like where that was coming from and what brands you considered, if any, um, cause I, I think that's kind of fascinating how you had, <laughs> you went yeah. through that process as well. Yeah. So the, well, the outside force was, um, his name was dad. Okay. <laughs> so, but you know, it, he, he, my dad's really, he's a, you know, visionary. He's, he's always the one, he always wants to be on the cutting edge and he looks for opportunities where people are, are not yet doing something. So I think from, you know, um, that perspective, you know, the push was, well, how can you get like this automatic channel of clientele? Um, at the time, you know, uh, many brands were very restricted. They weren't branching out yet into more of this boutique style you know, sub brands, like there's so many of those, like the big brands have been creating these sub brands now in which our hotel actually might fit, you know, like we, we could possibly still become a brand by signing on to one of these other types. Um, and those opportunities weren't really there yet when we, when we really started transforming our hotel 10 years ago. Um, Right. Yeah. This is a little, definitely more recent that you right. start seeing these soft brands come up. Right. So, um, you know, that, you know, that was, I think the, 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 the starting point for the conversation at that time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it, it almost worked out because who knows, maybe if your hotel would have been a better fit, you know, had there been some of these soft boutique brands that existed, maybe you would have gone down that route. But, you know, when we talk to some of these franchise owners and we're hearing like almost the, the, the question that keeps coming up is what is the value of a brand? And 
because you're doing great right now. And the good news is you don't need to pay uh, royalty free fees franchise. You don't need to pay 9% of your revenue to a brand roughly, you know, depending on what the, the franchise agreement states um, because you are doing it on your own. So you don't have this automatic channel of, um, of kind of guests that are coming in and, and distribution, if you will. Um, so what are you doing to get guests and to market your hotel and to make it so successful? Like, what does that look like for you? Yeah. So that, you know, you reminded me that the other thing that's changed since 10 years ago was that there wasn't, there were definitely not as many opportunities for marketing channels. Um, You know, independent hotels were not doing a lot of independent digital marketing. And now the floodgates have opened, you know, in terms of our ability to reach our customers directly through social media, through better newsletter platforms, um, through digital advertising. Um, The the landscape of the online travel channels has expanded, um, you know, and most recently the one we've been very successful with is Airbnb. Um, So, you know, there's just so much has opened up in terms of our direct channeling um, where the brand, you know, um, the, the having like a franchise brand, you know, has been, it's replaced by other opportunities. And, you know, the other part of it, I think is, you know, it, it, it's about where is, where's the brand placement, right? Like there's our brand as an independent, you know, individual hotel, but, you know, I would say we do have a brand, but our brand is our location, location, you know, in Stowe, Vermont, you know, we are a resort destination and people come here for the experience of the Stowe brand and not necessarily even for a specific hotel. Um, so, you know, and then it's my job to then convince them, Hey, we're the best option for you once you get here. Well, and, you know, I guess you mentioned earlier that, I mean, and is this true that there's still currently to this day, no branded hotels in Stowe, Vermont, or have there been hotels that have come up? Yeah. So there are now like, uh, about 15 minutes away, there's a Fairfields Marriott, um, which is right by the highway. So it makes complete sense, but it's not in the, it's not actually in Stowe. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there also have been, um, there are now the soft brands, um, who have, um, you know, the, the, the lodge at the mountain is now a, I think, I believe it's part of Hilton and there's a soft brand down the road from us, but it's not, um, part of their, their outward appearance appearance. And has that taken away market share from you? Do you think as those brands have come up, like, have you noticed that your hotel has performance has shifted as those hotels have come up, or do you still feel like you're kind of standing on your own two feet and still, you know, rocking it, it despite the new branded competition that has since come to your market? No, it hasn't had any impact on us. Um, we we continue to grow in revenue and occupancy pretty much every year. Um, and you know, it's it's also about how our brand as a hotel interacts with the st- the the location. That it's what customers are expecting. You know, customers in our area they're really looking for a unique experience. And so, you know, that, so we're delivering on that, you know, we're providing them with a unique experience, um, that, that, um, complements our location. Um, and that has only served us in a positive way. I think that's a great point. Uh, because when you do have a brand, let's just say Fairfield, for example, because it's close by, you are pretty much just in a rigid kind of uh, like they will take your flag away if you're not following exactly what they want you to do. Um, And then by the way, give us 9% of your revenue, give or take. 
Um, so you have the ability to be so much more flexible to make decisions fast and quick and to move. Um, and I hate to use the word pivot, but pivot and do all this different stuff because it's literally all you, um, and, and it's your footprint or what, like you mentioned. So, um, do you have any examples of being able to kind of flex that, uh, flexibility, if you will, and, um, and how that's benefited your hotel, which may have otherwise not have been possible under a brand? Yeah, I think when it comes to, um, you know, how we respond to the the customer experience, there's been so many examples. I meticulously follow our customer surveys and I really look for the feedback from our customers to determine what our next step is. And it allows us to experiment. Sometimes we fail. Sometimes we find, you know, the right thing, um, whether it's from the type of mattresses that we use to the pillows um, or, uh, for example, the software we use. I think that's, from what I can understand, that's one of the biggest challenges with these enterprise systems. You know, we can we can change at any moment. Um, and one of the things that we added was a text messaging service. And, you know, that has worked really well and allowed us, luckily we had implemented that a year before the pandemic and it meant everything when the pandemic came along, you know, in terms of the communication with our customer, it allowed us to do remote check-in easier. It allowed us to, you know, virtually have almost no physical contact with the guest, um, you know, but but still give them a very good level of customer service through texting. So uh, how does that look precisely? Because, um, you know, just thinking about uh, like, again, we'll just go back and say Fairfield. I just simply, I don't know if I can imagine a truly contactless experience at a, a property like that. So what exactly does that look like for your guests? And and even as we start to kind of come out of the pandemic, the, the follow-up question that would be, are guests still wanting this? Is this still something that people are um, happy with or are they kind of wanting to go back to normal? So what does that look like? And then is it still in demand even now? Yeah. So, you know, what it used to look like is, is that someone had to come in, they had to come to the front desk, they had to fill out our registration form, you know, there was a five to 10 minute conversation. Now, um, we, we send them a pre arrival uh, registration and check in, you know, card um, digital. So they received an, an email and a text message with a link and then they will fill out our digital registration card. Uh, then what? once that happens, we prepare an envelope for the guest and we have a mailbox outside of our front door where they can pick up the envelope with their key in it. So we're not completely in the, you know, the most, um, what do you want to say? Like tech, we don't have all the tech there for, for contactless check-in, you know, the, the bigger hotels with more capital, you know, are starting to put in kiosks for that kind of thing. Sure. Um, or they have an app that produces a, you know, an RFID code for, to unlock their room. That's still a bit out of our reach. Um, but we've been able to adapt so that, you know, and it's, it's a small town. So putting a lot of us have mailboxes out in front, uh, for late night check-ins, uh, for people to pick up their envelope. And so they have an envelope with their name on it and they have a, a letter, you know, with some further details in case they have questions. And then throughout the stay, they're sent a text just checking in. They can respond to the text if they need anything like additional supplies for their room or if they have questions about activities. Um, And we can just completely communicate with them throughout their stay over text message. 
So, so in theory, you could have a hotel with guests that has no staff at like in, during certain times. So you don't, do you need 24 seven coverage or is that something that you don't, because of these solutions, you don't even need that. So what, um, what we are finding is that it definitely decreases um, some, and we did decrease staffing levels during, uh, during the pandemic. We had a little bit different hours. Sometimes we didn't always had front desk service. Um, but we did always have someone who was uh, on call and who responded to those messages. Right. So you still you still need that level of support. However, we and what we found is that the front desk, you know, or that person who responds to the customer, whoever that is, whether it's a back office re- reservationist or um you know, whoever, whoever it is that that ability to be reachable is always needed, but we found creative ways to, to spread that through our staff, depending on how busy we were, um, to be able to still service the guest. Um, but the front desk person, you know, having that person there, Um, I think it is coming back more than Mm -hmm. need to have that physical presence, but we found with other shifts in our, the design of how we work that we, we have less staff in other areas. So all this flexibility you have has actually led you to be able to reduce your labor costs uh, pretty quickly, right? In in a time when um, a lot of the, um, I guess qualms that are coming from some of the the branded uh, franchise hotel owners and operators are that you know, and I, and this could be really any business, but that labor costs are rising faster than you know the uh, the market will pay for the increase in prices for the product or service you're offering, um, and that's a valid issue, right? Um, so it's it almost seems like this is an added benefit that you've been able to as just financially and as an owner uh, to be able to um, kind of reduce, but still care for the guests in at the same time and be flexible because not everybody has this. So you mentioned that the uh, front desk physical presence is starting to come back. Um, but do you notice that there's still um, guests are still kind of enjoying that not always in your face type of service and kind of wanting to be left alone a little bit? Uh, what do you what do you have? What have you observed recently as we start to come out of the pandemic? Yeah, I definitely I think that I mean, it it definitely looks like it will continue. Uh, You know, people are becoming definitely more less conscious about the physical content. So they may just walk in, um, you know, to the front desk area, but they they will, you know, I think we had also already, we had already started seeing the shift because we started using the text messaging before the pandemic that people really appreciated the convenience of just being able to converse over text messaging um, and not have to be there in person to ask a question, Um, you know, or, you know, call and not get somebody at the front desk or, or whatever. Right. And people's social skills are even like preferring, like people would almost rather just because of their own, I guess, you know, that's just the way that we are now is we prefer to just have texting communication in our own personal lives. And why are we fighting that um, in the hospitality industry? You know, not to say that it's, it's, there's no texting services anywhere because, you know, there are, and even branded hotels have utilized it. Um, but it's not, it's not industry standard yet. Um, and it's going to take a while for that to happen. But with, with you guys, it's just like, we're just going to implement it and we're going to just do it because that's the right thing to do without the brand yeah. telling you that you have to. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, I think for, for anyone branded or not, who might be, you know, considering that kind of shift, what I think it comes down to is, you know, where in your operations do you have the best opportunity to give the customer service? And, you know, it's, it's not that we're giving less customer service, we're shifting the way in which we give it. And when it's given, because really, do any of us like to wait in line at a front desk to check in? I mean, I sure as hell don't No, you're, you show up, you're exhausted. The kids are screaming in the car. You know, the last thing you want to do is stand at the front desk talking to someone, you know, you just want to get in your room and um, relax and start your, your trip. So, but then later in the process, they still get the contact with us um, and they still feel our presence through that. Well, yeah, because it's, and people want to be in control of their experience. And when you have somebody who uh, shows up to the hotel and they are just basically forced to be in, in a line, like that's not giving them the control that what they want and that kind of instant gratification that a lot of people want. And especially like you said, I mean, seriously, like if you're coming out with your family and you're getting out of a a car after a long drive or however you got there, chances are you're on the tail end of a long night or a long day up until that point. Um, And you just like, you just want to get in, just put your stuff down and go to sleep and get your kids to just relax and, and go to bed. Right. Um, and you probably experienced that on your recent trip too, after having traveled all day with the family. Right. And now it's like, you can deploy that same empathy, um, empathy to your guests, but you know, it's something that I think hotel guests have to a certain extent, they've accepted that waiting in line and that inconvenience of checking into a hotel is just, it's normal. And we just have to deal with this until they get an experience like what you have and they can just get their key, go to their room, um, you know, and they have their family. And then those little experiences like, Hmm, why can't this just be normal? Why they start to question why do we have to do this at every other hotel? Why can one place do this for us, but the other can't? And I think that's actually those questions guests are actually starting to ask themselves this for the first time in a while. Uh, because again, before there was no other options. It was just, you show up, you wait and you deal with it. Now they see they, they don't necessarily have to. Um, so yeah. Yeah, it just I just wanted to comment on that because I think like to tie it back to, you know, what what I can see from the outside sometimes is the the challenge with brands is that, you know, the red tape to make those changes and the 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 long-standing legacy of certain operational processes and we have been so I think we've been stuck as an as an industry um and it, it doesn't help that, you know, that these kinds of standards that are so deeply entrenched and, and, and enforced by brands sometimes can really hold, hold us back from innovation as an industry. Um, and I'm, you know, recalling something that if from one of your recent podcasts where, you know, you were talking about the industry needs to be more progressive because, you know, we're not we are not being judged anymore just by the hotel next door. And, you know, we are being judged also by what other companies even outside of the hospitality industry are offering. And I get that from Blake Morgan, who's a great customer experience thought leader. You know, she talks about that a lot that, you know, we're being judged against Amazon. We're being judged against, you know, and definitely Airbnb um, and the experience that they offer. So we have to be able to be flexible, uh, to be able to respond to those customer expectations. That is a great, great point. Um, cause again, and it's, it's kind of like the hotel guest 
to a certain extent, long time has accepted these things. But now it's like, again, you know, not only are we experiencing this at another hotel, but then why can we just, you know, you know, pay ahead of time with our card and stuff. And, and, and even like, cause a lot of this stuff is technology driven. when you talk about Amazon and you talk about those kind of companies, but even for your property, which does not have, like you mentioned, the, the infrastructure of all this, you know, grand new um, technology, but you're still able to be creative and do it in your own way. Because at the end of the day, it's your hotel, your choices, your flexibility. Now, I'm curious to know as well, um, you know, we we talk about the the rooms and the check-in experience and and we talk about that, but one of the the other issues here is um is staffing. Uh and this is something that we've talked about. It, it's a it's a big issue right now and will continue to be. Um I, I'm curious to know what your take is on that and also what you've been able to do as a independent owner and operator to combat that if 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 you were dealing with it at all yeah no i mean it's a it's a huge issue all over the country and um you know we are definitely in the same boat um with finding uh you know really getting prepared for our next season with staffing and uh you know it's, it's really been actually an issue before the pandemic, uh, in our area. Um, it's, it's, so it's not really new. Um, what, you know, I've been giving a lot of thought to is that, you know, we, I think we very quickly when we're in this kind of like, you know, uh, crisis mode, cause it's really a crisis we very quickly jump to, so, you know, the solutions that, okay, like, how am I going to find people? You know, how am I going to get new, new bodies in the door? You know, uh, I hate to say it that way, but you know, that's, that's, there's, this <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's, I mean, it's, it is, that is the, the, the mindset right now, 100%. Right. So, you know, I, the last few weeks, I've really been thinking, okay, you know, everybody in my area is hiring right now people are putting out like serious sign on bonuses um, and they're not getting a lot of response. So, you know, and, and they're also increasing wages, um, you know, where necessary, um, you know, and they might be getting, that might be effective to some extent, but it's really, I think, uh, um, very short term, thinking because this problem is not going to go away. So how do we think long-term with um, staffing? And I have, I've thought of three, the three kind of strategies are retain, redesign and recruit. So first the, and that's in a very particular order. So the first thing when we're having a staffing crisis we, we shouldn't be turning to the new people that we want to bring in, but we should first and foremost, make sure that we're keeping the people that we have. Right. Big round of applause there. So that's, um, that's retain, right? The first R. So retain is we're focusing on making sure that we don't lose any of the existing people that we have. Right. So what's their, what's their employee experience like? Are they getting the attention they need? You know, are we being empathetic, authentic leaders to them? Um, Of course, are we paying them what their value is? Um, But it's not just about pay. It's also about their motivation. You know, like what drives them in their work every day? And are we supporting that as leaders? Um, I mean, just to give an example, you know, uh, a few weeks ago, the partner of my head housekeeper passed away from cancer. Oh my and, gosh. So sorry you know, to hear that. Yeah. It's, it's heartbreaking. And, you know, that's not the first time we've experienced that. And, and many hoteliers can relate to these moments. Um, what you do in that moment is, um, is it's a moment of truth about what your relationship is like with that employee. You know, I could have an employee po- policy that says on paper, 
you know, we, we offer three paid days off for bereave, you know, bereavement and for funeral time and all of that. Um, but I don't follow that, you know, I mean, that's like a baseline, but I'm responding to what that employee needs at this moment. If she needs more time off, she's going to get it. If I have to step in and be emotional support and work side by side with her for, you know, a couple of weeks or whatever it takes, you know, do it, you know, I call her, ask her how she's doing, checking in. Um, and I know so many hospitality leaders out there do those things. Um, but that has to be our first focus is the people that we have um, in our in our ranks right now. That's um, such a great example. And um, I, I really think that a lot of people can can learn from that because it's and this is beyond the brand as well. This is just also just big corporations and just even even like regional hotel management companies, like you don't have that same uh, flexibility because you're afraid of legal backlash and all this stuff. And when you've got your own uh, family owned business like you do, uh, you can really, I guess, treat the employees more like family uh, and not really be uh, afraid of that. Um, but the one thing before you you discuss the next point that I want to kind of challenge you on a little bit is okay, it's great we can retain the people all we you know all we want by being nice to them and and doing these great things and I'm not taking anything away from that but what would you say to somebody who says you can't do that because um, if you're understaffed to begin with your existing employees are bearing that weight anyway, and there's nothing you can do about it. How do you retain people when they've got the weight of the vacant positions on their shoulders? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, You know, I think that when you give your staff more, they will give you more. They will step up at the moments when you need them most. Um, but there's also very tangible ways, you know, that you can offer them relief and, you know, that might be extra vacation time during a slower period. Um, it might be, you know, yes, a, like a bonus for a specific period in which you, you show them, Hey, your extra efforts have made it possible for us to get through this. Um, so there's, there's tangible and intangible ways to really show value, um, how much you value those staff who are stepping up. Um, but you know, it's, it's, I'm gonna, you're not, you're not wrong in your challenge because it's not enough. You know, there's, there's only so much pressure you can put on those existing staff members. So that's why, you know, there's two other R's (laughs) that have to be part of the equation. Right. So it's not just, you can't just practice one out of three or two out of three. It really is a, a, you know, all those things are kind of all encompassing. Now, before you, you go to the next one, I do want to say, I think that's a great idea though. That's honestly a better answer than I would have expected really from anybody like to basically let them know like, Hey, just hang on. I know because they understand at the end of the day too, like they're not stupid. They're not oblivious. Like they understand that if they see the, the environment that we're living in, they know that nobody is, is, is coming, not nobody's coming back to work, but they know that this is a, is a, is an issue um, in the industry around your town, et cetera. Uh, so, Hey, you know, just hold on a little bit longer. I understand what you're going through. Like we are going to be infusing you with so many, um, you know, extra free hours of PTO that you can use during the time that we slow down. And once we get new staff, you'll be the first in line to get your much needed time off. Like, I think it's those gestures mean a lot to people. And it's also about acknowledging the elephant in the room, because I'll be so surprised when like people are, you know, it's under, you're understaffed, right? You're working your existing team to death just naturally because of how understaffed you are. But then nobody's acknowledging it. Nobody's from leadership is saying like, we see you working this hard. We understand that you are working six days or seven days every week. We understand. 
Um, and even the leaders of leaders, um, because like, for example, like your head housekeeper, for example, has a team of people that she manages. And a lot of times people just think because somebody is already a leader, they don't need support. It's their job to give support to others. They're still human. Just because you get promoted doesn't mean that you somehow change your entire humanity. Uh, and, and now that you're overseeing a department or you have a team of people that you are exempt from being cared about by your ownership or executive management or corporate office or whatever your situation is. So I, I just think, um, you know, regardless of who you are, acknowledging the elephant in the room is huge. Those gestures of, you know, hang on because there's this light at the end of the tunnel that we're guaranteeing you now. And we're going outside of the boundaries of the handbook or whatever it is to, to accommodate you because we're outside of the boundaries of normal times. This isn't normal. So we're going to do not normal things to help you. So anyway, I'm off my soapbox now. What's the next one? Yeah. Um, no, that is, I mean, I just, just quickly to respond. Yeah. It's, you know, um, it's what you, the acknowledgement part is absolutely right, Kyle. It's the communication. Like this is what we're doing to try, you know, these are the steps we're taking to address this issue, like keeping them in the know as well. Like there is a light at the end of the tunnel. We will get through this and here are the steps we are taking. Um, so yeah, to bridge to the next one, which is redesign, you know, what are we doing to look at our processes? Because like I said earlier, I don't think this staffing issue is going to change for a really long time. So we've got to change the way we do business. How do we adjust and, um, you know, shift the, our need for people um, into automatic processes. So it's like something like we're, we're addressing right now is we have the, a miniature golf course. And in the summer, we struggle all the time with consistent staffing um, for the miniature golf course. And we are now looking at automation for people to buy their tickets from a machine um, because it's, re- it's a relatively simple process. And that is likely to cut down on, you know, three to four part-time employees uh, every summer um, yeah. for the, for the long run. So, so we're say, you know, saving on payroll. Um, we've, we've given a lot of thought in terms of the customer experience really like for that, you know, simple of a transaction we don't believe that our customers need to have that face-to-face contact. Um, they may be seeing our faces in a different way because we may be having someone like, you know, cleaning up the grounds and, you know, managers who walk through the park and say hello to people um, who managers who would otherwise, you know, they're in their office doing important things, but, you know, we can be out there like, you know, showing our face, um, to make sure they have that contact. Um, yeah. Cause honestly, I don't even think like just in the, the miniature golf example, as just putting myself in a, a guest shoes, and I'm sure it's also open to the local community as well, if they want to come out and enjoy it. But I don't think I would even think twice if I got my golf ticket from a machine. Like, I don't think I would be actually saying to myself as I'm doing that transaction, oh, well, I'm sure at one point there was a person here who was doing this and now my experience is deteriorated as a result of it. Like, no, I would literally be like, this is just makes sense, you know, and good. Now I can play my game. And then I see a nice person who's really utilizing attention to detail to manicure the grounds, or I see um, a manager who is um, taking pride in the property and of the experience by interacting and engaging. Sounds great to me. Um, And, you know, I definitely think that the, the industry as a whole, I've seen so many conversations about, um, and not just hotel industry, but all industries, like how do you combat uh, rising labor costs and, and staffing shortages? the automation automation will be quicker to be rolled out uh, across you know line level positions and in, in service based businesses um faster um and this is we're seeing it happen actually the the Walmart down the street from my house um i was there like 2 months ago 
and we had all registers. And then I went back like a month later and to my complete shock, every single register had been wiped out and it was 100% checkout kiosk. Not one, you have no option to go to a register now. And that's just, they literally in the snap of a finger, they ripped it all up and put in the self checkout kiosk. And now that will be there forever and ever and ever and ever. Um, And it's just going to happen everywhere. Um, If anybody listening knows anything about automated housekeeping, definitely send us an email or a message because honestly, like I'm hearing about this, but I'm ignorant to it and I want to learn more. So if you know anything about it, um, just send me an email or something because I'm I'm curious to know. But that's another thing I'm hearing about is automated uh, housekeeping services as well, which I have a hard time comprehending, but um, somebody smarter than me is trying to figure that out right now. (laughs) Yeah. Well, but you know, there's, there's other ways to redesign housekeeping, right? So like, that's another place that we've pivoted. So, you know, a lot of people during the pandemic have um, stop doing stay over cleaning. And, you know, because of our positioning as a, you know, mid to upper, you know, mid level on the edge of upper scale, um, independent boutique hotel, we are no longer going to be offering stay over service, but in place of it comes service on demand and talking about that to the customer and saying, listen, because we're also pet friendly. And oftentimes housekeeping actually is a little bit of a nuisance for pet owners because they have to figure out what am I going to do with my dog? When do I have to be there? Um, You know, during the housekeeping service. So we are really, really transforming this idea into listen, we're still here for you, we will give you supplies whenever you need them. If you want your room to be freshened up, we are happy to do it but you will no longer receive standard, you know, stay over cleaning because it's, you know, is it, it's not really like, is it really adding value um, to the customer experience? Chills. You just gave me chills right now because yes. Is it adding value? I don't know, but you know, your guests, and that's another thing too. The brand is going to be like a lot of brands right now have done some sort of suspension of daily housekeeping service. We don't know if it's coming back. We don't know what the future holds, but you know what your future holds because you just put it into stone that that it's not you. It's not going to be a a automatic. Your room is on a board to get cleaned every single day that you're there. Um, and I think as long as the guests are aware of that, because part of it is educating the guests on the what they believe to be industry standard for many decades is now evolving. So educating them, which it sounds like you've done a good job of doing and you're utilizing text messaging and other platforms to, to communicate them this information. Um, So they're educated. And then also chances are they didn't even want it to begin with for a lot of people because it just, they don't care. Like people, I don't care about daily housekeeping service when I travel. Um, And, you know, I even have had room attendants, like when I was on um, task force, for example, um, you know, I only had my room cleaned a couple of times just based on the length of time that I was there. But every day I would see the room attendant in the hallway and she'd be like, um, she'd be like, you should let me clean your room so I can have hours. And eventually I, after she said that I would, I would, you know, take my D and D off. But even then I'm like, I don't, I really knowing this and being in the hotel industry, I genuinely don't need it, nor do I want it because at home, you know, I don't, uh, have somebody, I mean, really what is, what is stay over service anyway, but if you want to rearrange my toiletries on the vanity, like I already know where I want them to go and I place them there anyway. So you don't have to, to touch those things and put them where you want them because I already put them where I wanted them. I don't need um, the room dusted because I've only been in there for one night and it's fine. Like I'm good. So you're right. What is the value of that? And if, especially now, you knowing your guests, knowing your community, knowing the people that you serve, like, I mean, have you gotten any backlash from people? 
on this policy change? Um, no, I, you know, I would say we, I remember seeing recently, you know, one uh, survey response and it said something like, yeah, it might be nice to have survey or um, stay over cleaning back again um, at some point. Um, but, you know, it's, it's really, it's, I, I don't think anticipate that it's going to be an issue, but it's really up to us to set the expectation from the beginning about what our brand is and what our experience as a hotel is. And as long as we continue to listen to the customer and really identify what their need is and respond to them also it, you know, specifically and in, in if they do want a room refresh, then fine, you know, that's great. We'll do that for you. Um, but really honing in on what they're, what it is that they're looking for in the experience. Um, you know, and the, the other thing, there was two other things I wanted to off of what you said, respond to was that what was really interesting was this convergence of and the co the coincidence of how the pandemic and our uh, our launch on Airbnb have started to converge into our new brand identity. And what I mean by that is that Airbnb customers don't expect stayover service because it does, none of them get that, you know, and they have, they have also all virtual contact with their hosts, right? So then at the same time, the pandemic forced us to align with that model anyways. We, we started our Airbnb reservations last summer surpassed our Expedia reservations. It was mind blowing. Like Expedia dropped to almost like nothing. Um, and for some reason, like just everything came together in terms of brand identity, in terms of processes, in terms of expectations of the customer, um, that we're, we are really lucky and to be aligned um, somewhat coincidentally on this path with who we are as a, a company and as a brand. And, and I'm definitely not saying it's for, it's for everybody, you know. Sure. luxury, luxury hotels. It's, that's a, you know, you've got to figure out what's that value that you're, you is being ex expected by your customer. Right. But my customer um, is on this path with us um, and we can continue in this direction. Um, and the other thing I wanted to respond to was that like, by no means do I saying that we need to eliminate hospitality jobs um, it, I think it's about, you know, like, cause you mentioned the housekeeper who wanted, you know, don't shorten my hours by not cleaning, letting me clean my, you know, your room. But I think it's long-term thinking, how do we shift jobs to more high impact, um, you know, value jobs and invest more in those people. Right. Um, and, you know, to, to make hospitality a more um, attractive industry as well. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. And that's also something that is that, that conversation of like eliminating hospitality jobs is very, very, very sensitive. And it's, it's something that actually, you know, and many people may not like my response to it, but I actually think that, um, you know, the, the more, rigid that you are in your expectations of your job, the more vulnerable you are. Um, and, and that goes a lot for, I hate to say it, but if you are currently in a unionized hotel environment, you are continuously can, you are at risk. Um, and if you are not flexible in your job, you are also at risk. So, um, you know, for, for that, that room attendant, right? I think there's value in a room attendant who does nothing but clean rooms because they have muscle memory that causes them to be fast, speedy, efficient. Like I know how to clean a guest room, but there is no way that I'm going to be able to go head to head with a seasoned tenured hotel housekeeping room attendant and 
and make beds and clean rooms as fast as they are. I just simply can't. So there's definitely value in in your role, but I think being able to be flexible is critical. Um, so, and, and it sounds like you agree too with with that because what do you need? Versatility, right? So you right. can maximize the impact of that individual's contributions to your property. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, okay. So we have um, retain, we have redesign, and then we have recruit. So talk to us about this third um, pillar here. Yeah. So recruit, that's where, you know, that's where the most focus is, you know, right now um, is on how do we recruit. And, you know, you've, you've had a great um, podcast about this already. The, I think it was called the hospitality hiring crisis. Um, I just, I listened to to it yesterday while I was stripping rooms. Hey, there we go. That is awesome. That's what I love to hear. People listening to our show while doing hotel things. It's just, it's beautiful. I love it. Thank you, yeah. by the way. Yeah. So I got a lot of great tips uh, from there. Um, but, you know, some of our approaches, and this is a little bit repetitive to what, what was said, is that, you know, we've got to speed up the hiring process, you know, make the 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 in the times shorter between, you know, um, the time that you contact them to interview to hiring them, um, you know, that we got to tighten that up a lot more. Um, I think we need to, you know, be careful about where we go with wages. Um, because yes, like there is pressure on wages, and we need to pay what people are worth for sure. And that's something that we should be examining. Uh, but it also should be based on, um, again, it goes back to our own to the staff that already work for us. So, you know, how are we looking at those staff people first and what they're making and making sure that their their pay is also in line with the pay pressure um, and, you know, not just throwing out ridiculous amounts of money, because I think, um, you know, like signing those bonuses, I'm really concerned for for how what type of person that brings to your business. If someone short term without a doubt. Yeah. And if it's purely based on like that signing bonus, guess what? Six months from now, they'll go to another place that offers a sign on bonus and you'll, and they won't be with you anymore. Um, So, you know, in terms of recruitment, my, you know, my, I'm, I'm, I'm constantly trying to just stay in that long-term focus about um, expressing what our brand is as an employer who we are um, and our our brand identity in terms of ex- employee experience, um, and which really focuses on that family aspect, and that we treat our employees as our customers, um, as leaders as well. Um, and so that's that's like the 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 direction that we're taking. Um, and yeah, it's it's. Talk to me again in a couple of months, you know, I'm probably going to be getting a little bit more desperate, but it's also just, Hey, you know, we just got to pitch in, you know, we pitch in and to get through this period. And, but I, I honestly believe with our recruitment strategy, if we continue to focus on long-term strategies rather than short-term knee-jerk desperation, um, that, you know, we really will, um, we really will get through it. I just absolutely love that sentiment. I really, really do. Um, it's the, definitely the flaw in what's going on right now is, is I, I just, the desperation, right. That we're seeing and the behaviors that's leading to, and what, what we're willing to accept and what we're willing to, to, um, allow, right. That like, this is a, this is your business. This is your baby. This is like, you don't want just anybody coming in here and representing um, who you are and who what your brand is all about to your existing team, number one, because that can be cancerous. And then number two, to your guests and the community. Um, yeah. So I, I, I kind of think, you know, I was talking to a um, president of a hotel management company um, yesterday and he was saying very similar thoughts to what you said. Um, and one of them was, that you need to have as a leader, you need to have the grit 
to withstand like that tough period of being understaffed to not just accept the first warm body that walks in the door, but to really hold out for the right person. And if the right person is the first person that walks in the door, yeah, by, by all means, speed up the process, execute and make it happen. But if you're making decisions based on the fact that you don't want to step up to the plate, meanwhile, you're expecting your existing staff to, and then you bring in somebody who's negative, who's toxic, who maybe not the right person, um, then that's a, that's a problem. And as leaders, we need to have the grit to withstand um, the temptation of allowing somebody to come in just for short-term uh, relief. And, but don't get me wrong. I mean, we all know how tiring and exhausting it can be when you're understaffed, right? So, but again, I, I just love your hyper-focus on the long-term because I think you'll win compared to um, maybe the other uh, establishments in your town who are hiring, who are having these hiring bonuses with no strings attached and all these other things that can be damaging, um, or damaging you at the end of the day. Yeah. And I mean, I will say, you know, I'll, I'll say that with the caveat that, you know, also as this ties it back into being an independent family run hotel, you know, I also have, and this is one of the advantages of being an independent hotel is that I also have the luxury that we can make choices to, again, redesign our processes um, and operations. So if it's getting to be too much, you know, like for instance, we're not open seven nights a week right now at our bowling lounge, you know, and we can make that choice and, and conscious decision about, Hey, we just, we may need to expect that we're not, we're not on that, that revenue path that we want to be right now. Um, but we are thinking again about, like what's sustainable for us. Like this is a, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. You know, we got to be in it for the long haul. And if we burn out ourselves and you know, that's number one, like there's only so much bandwidth we have. And then think about our employer, you know, our employees who also they're not invested in the same way that we are for the long term in our business. So we can't, you know, we can't burn them out. Um, so you have to have a balance there. You got to cut back and, sh- you know, shorten hours, be creative. And again, that's a, that's a luxury that I have. And, um, you know, with our independent business to be able to make those choices. So I feel for the bit really big properties, um, you know, and, you know, where you're part of a management company or a brand, um, it's really tough to, to make those decisions. Right. And, you know, and not that it's not tough for you, but at least at the end of the day, you are in 100% control of the direction of your business, the decisions that you make. And at the end of the day, the consequences for those decisions, right? So it's kind of like, you know, you can bear the rewards and then also bear, you know, if there's any negative consequences as well. But ultimately at the end of the day, I'm just, I'm glad to know that despite everything going on, that you are ultimately doing well in in your business, that your, your hotel is, is uh, continuing to grow. Uh, Your business is continuing to grow and that you're continuing to refine your identity um, and align with your guests and your customers. So with that being said, as we wrap up today's interview, um, I want to just kind of give you the opportunity to talk about what else you have going on and give you the opportunity for our listeners to connect with you. Because if there are people out there who are listening and they're like, wow, you know, I'm thinking about, uh, you know, going into the hotel real estate business and I want to own my own property or I own or operate a branded hotel and our franchise agreement is coming up and I'm wondering what do we do? Um, I want to have uh, a way for our listeners to contact you with anything. So yeah. What else do you have going on? Absolutely. So yeah, thanks Kyle. I, I recently have launched um, also my leadership coaching practice and I'm really excited about that. It's called peak leadership coaching. And my real focus on that uh, is um, being there as a person of support for leaders in hospitality, travel, and marketing. Um, those are my peeps. <laughs> I really like those industries, and 
Um, you know, I want to use the experience that I have in uh, hotels and marketing um, and, and also my new skills as a trained uh, coach um, to really help this industry take the next step. Um, so yeah, I'm there for coaching. And I'll also be this week, I'll be giving away some scholarships for coaching packages. So we can put some information about that maybe in uh, on LinkedIn or in your notes. Um, if you want, Kyle, wherever we can make that connection. Yes, um, definitely. Uh, look out for that in the show notes for today's episode. We can yeah, get that uh, for today's episode. Awesome. And yeah, anyone can contact or visit us here in Stowe. My, um, my, should I give my email address? <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I'll, I'll put yeah. it in the description box as well. Yeah. And my email is rachel at sunandskiin.com. That is great. Guys, again, look in the description for all that information. Look at the website, check out the photos. This place is beautiful and it's awesome. And it's run by a great leader. I do want to say as well on the topic of your, uh, your coaching and the, the fact that you've been like trained and certified to be a leadership coach, how great is that uh, for your hotel teams that you developed yourself further to benefit your team so you can be the best leader for them in the time of this crisis? And now, you know, to actually want to help others with that as well is just, is just great. Um, so Rachel, thank you for your contributions to the industry uh, and to your community. And uh, for everybody listening, thank you for supporting Hospitality MD. And we will see you for another interview next week. Guys, thank you so, so much for tuning into this week's episode of Hospitality MD. Your support means the world to us. Whether you're new or existing, we appreciate each and every one of you. Guys, be sure to check the links in the description to find Rachel, to find the Sun and Ski Inn and Suites, and to learn more about Hospitality MD. Guys, we love you. We'll see you next time.